reading in the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 this morning, and these are the words that come directly from Jesus. Jesus says this. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We'll read that one more time. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's the only verse that we're looking at this morning, and we're going to spend some time unpacking what that means and what Jesus is really saying to us through this verse. We want to make sure that we, we get and we capture what Jesus has to say. We don't want to miss what God has to say to us, because what God says to us is life-changing, amen? We want to hear what God has to say. And so what I'd like to do is there's, there's really just two terms that I think we need to understand in this verse. And if you look in your copy of God's Word with me, the, the first one that we see there is righteousness. Righteousness. Let's say that word together. Righteousness. What does righteousness mean? What does that mean? Is that just a big church word, a big Christianese word that we throw around left and right? Well, well righteousness, I think in the simplest definition, means doing the right things with the right heart. I think righteousness is defined by Jesus as shown by Jesus and is shown all throughout the rest of the Bible, is doing the right things and doing them with the right heart. It's not enough just to do the right things because you can do the right things so that other people clap for you, or, or you can do the right things because you feel like you have to. Jesus wants our hearts. Jesus wants us to be right in our hearts, and that'll be right in our actions. Does that make sense? Righteousness is, is, is doing the right things for the right reasons, because we have the right heart, ultimately because we know Jesus. Righteousness is doing the right things with the right heart, and that's only possible with Jesus. The other word is satisfied. Let's say that together. Satisfied. What does it mean to be satisfied? Well, if you're hungry and you're thirsty, you know what it means not to be satisfied, right? You know what it means to be in, in want. And so the word satisfied, I think in the simplest way to say it, it means to be full. It means to have your stomach filled. It means that you have all that you need. And for us as believers in Jesus, we can be satisfied only by Jesus, Jesus is the only one who can satisfy us, and, and ultimately our desire for righteousness is only going to be satisfied in him. It's not satisfied by how hard we try. It's not satisfied by perfect church attendance. It's not satisfied by good things even. Our righteousness is only satisfied when we come to know Jesus and trust in him. Let's talk about this a little bit more. Um, to be satisfied is something that Jesus promises us. He promises that one day we will be satisfied. But in some way, here on earth, we experience a lot of dissatisfaction. And, and specifically here, we experience dissatisfaction with righteousness. We, we live in a place where we don't see a lot of righteousness in the world, right? We, we don't see a lot of righteousness in our lives. And so I think that there are three areas there are three areas that we're going to look at this morning to look at how we are dissatisfied with the unrighteousness of the world. We're going to look at how we are dissatisfied with the unrighteousness that we see in the world. And so we're going to look at a couple different passages throughout Scripture, and they should be up on the screen there with you. If you want to write these down, if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to do that, to read back later. But the first place that we are dissatisfied is we are dissatisfied with the world around us. We are dissatisfied with the world around us because there's not a lot of righteousness in the world. There's a lot of unrighteousness in the world. We're dissatisfied with this. We live in a world that is sadly full of sin and full of death. And we see this in the very beginning. 
right after the fall, when Adam and Eve first sinned, there's something beautiful that happens in Genesis chapter 4, but it's marred by something ugly. And I need to read this for you this morning. In Genesis chapter 4, it says this. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. In this passage, we see something beautiful. We see new life, and we get to see Adam and Eve have children, which is beautiful. But right after that, because there's sin in the world, one brother rises up against the other, and he kills him. This has been happening ever since the fall. This has been happening ever since Adam and Eve first sinned against God, and it hasn't stopped happening. You don't have to go far to see this in the world. I mean, you look on the news and you see what's going on with Israel and Hamas. You see what's going on in in Ukraine with Russia. Even here, just down the street, earlier this week, there was an officer who was shot because he was responding to a call. There is brokenness and unrighteousness in our world around us. And this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not how it's supposed to be. But the problem isn't just with other people. The problem's not just with other people. It'd be easy if it was. But the problem is also with me. The problem is with us, and that's what we're going to see here. We are also dissatisfied, not only with the world around us, but we're dissatisfied with ourselves. That's the second point. We're dissatisfied with ourselves. We're dissatisfied with the lack of righteousness within ourselves. And I don't know if you can relate to this, but Paul is going to share a passage here in a second where he just talks about how he struggles, how he struggles with sin. Anybody else here struggle with sin? Anybody struggle with righteousness, right? You're not alone. Let me read this for you. Romans chapter 7, Paul says this, and Pastor Matt alluded to this last week where where Paul is talking about how he is a wretched man, and we're going to see why he says that. Romans chapter 7, verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I can relate to that. Verse 16, Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Again, can you relate to Paul in this? Like in this internal struggle, you know what's right, you know what you're supposed to do, but your flesh at sometimes feels stronger than the spiritual side of you. It feels stronger than, than what you know is right, and so you struggle against your sin. You struggle against your sin. And I wrestle with temptations like Paul. I can say, me too, that's me. I, I see myself in you, Paul, and I hate it. 
I hate that I have to wrestle against my sin. I hate that I'm not perfectly righteous. I, I hate that the very sin that put Jesus on the cross, I still sometimes enjoy. I hate that. That's not how it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be this way. The, the third and final way that I think that we see that we're dissatisfied with the lack of righteousness in the world is that we're dissatisfied with the present ruler of the world. We are dissatisfied with the present ruler of the world. And here's who I'm talking about. The present ruler of the world is the devil. And let me be very clear here. God is sovereign. God is in control of all things. And anything that the devil does, he, he only gets to do it because God is allowing him to do it for a short time. It's not like God and, and Satan are in a cage match and we're, we're not sure if God is going to win. Like, like God has won. The victory is decided. It's over. But for a brief time, Satan still gets to do what he wants. He still gets to act as a ruler of the world. And the Bible even alludes to him as, as giving him the title God of this world with a little g. Not because he's a god, but because people worship him like he's a god. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to those who are opposing him and to those who will even later crucify him and nail him to the cross. And in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says this. He says, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Aren't you sick of Satan's lies? Aren't you sick of seeing people follow after Satan's lies and, and be trapped in sin? Because it's, it's no light thing. It's not just, oh, well, this is the way it is. It's just how we have to accept it. People who are trapped in sin don't know Jesus. And if they don't know Jesus, they're not going to spend eternity with God. And so we should hate this. This isn't how it's supposed to be. I'm sick of Satan having his way. I'm sick of people falling victim to him. This is not how it's supposed to be. But church, this is not how it will always be. Because Jesus has come and Jesus is coming back. This is not how it's supposed to be. But this is not how it's always going to be. Because Jesus has come, he has brought hope, and one day Jesus is coming back again to make all things right. That's the hope we have as Christians, that even though we, we see unrighteousness in this world, even though we struggle to be righteous because we're imperfect people like Paul, even though that, that there is seemingly a losing battle going all around us where we see people constantly following after Satan and his lies, Jesus has come and Jesus is coming we have hope because of who he is. We have real hope, and it's going to change things. Well, what's interesting is that as Christians, we live in this tension between what God has already done and what God has not yet done. This is a principle that we kind of talk about called already but not yet. Turn to the person on your left and say, already. Now look at the person on your right, but say, but not yet. But not yet. Well done. Already, but not yet. This is the tension that we live in as Christians because already Jesus has come into the world and, and if we've trusted in him, we're saved. Like, like that's done, that's nailed down, that is sure, that's not being taken away from us. But, but Jesus has not yet come back and he has not made all things right yet and we haven't seen him face to face. I kind of like to explain already, not yet, kind of like this. Anybody here excited for Christmas? Oh, there should be a lot more hands than that. 
Come on, it's Christmas. You gotta be excited if you're a follower of Jesus, right? Like, I, I love Christmas. I love that we get to celebrate Jesus, and I love everything that leads up to Christmas, right? Like, like the food, the music, the movies, getting to hang out with your family and do fun traditions, whatever you guys have passed down and come up with. Like, it's fun, right? And in the weeks leading up to, to Christmas, even to Christmas Eve itself, it feels like Christmas, right? It, it feels like Christmas already, you might even get to, get to see the presents sitting underneath the tree, right? You might even see one with your name on it, right? And you're ready. You might be tempted to go and shake it, but mom yells at you and you can't do that, right? We're excited because it already feels like Christmas, but it's not Christmas Day yet. And it's not Christmas Day yet. We, we haven't yet gotten to open up that present. And for us as Christians, we already know Jesus. We're excited about Jesus. We have new life in Jesus, but it hasn't been finished yet. But one day, Christmas Day is coming, and just like when we were little kids, we'll run into mom and dad's room and wake them up at 5 a.m., run down the stairs and tear and open those presents, and we'll get to see what's inside. And for us as Christians, we'll get to see Jesus face to face. Aren't you excited for that day? Aren't, aren't you ready for that day? Like, that's what we're looking forward to, right? We want to see Jesus already, but not yet. But one day, it will be. Hope is coming, and we will get to see Jesus. We'll get to see Jesus. Now, back to our promise this morning, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Again, Jesus gives us a promise here. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Church, already, because we know Jesus, we're going to get to experience righteousness, and we're going to get to experience satisfaction in Jesus already. And one day, when Jesus comes back and we see him face to face, it's going to be finished. It will be complete. So let's look at again, these three different areas of our lives, and see how we'll be satisfied, see how we'll be righteous. The, the first one is that we will one day live in a world of righteousness. One day we will live in a world of righteousness. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. We'll live in a world of righteousness. And we get to see this already previewed in the church. Here in these four walls among this people, we get to see righteousness play out in the way it was meant to in our community of faith. That's what it's supposed to look like as we use our gifts to build one another up. In contrast to, to Cain and Abel, Paul is writing a letter to the church. And this church is full of people who come from very different walks of life. On, on one side, over here, you have the Jews. And these Jews who have trusted in Jesus, they come from a background where they were very religious. So since they were little kids, they had to memorize huge chunks of the Bible and recite them back. Every single day, they had to follow the law as if their very lives depended on it. But then, all the way over here, on the other side, you have the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are the farthest thing away from the Jews. They didn't read the Bible. They didn't go to synagogue. They didn't follow laws. If they had a God, it was something that they carved out of a rock or a piece of wood and, and prayed to in their living room. It wasn't real. And so both of these people miraculously get saved. These groups of people get saved by trusting in Jesus. And what's crazy about that is this. The Jews hated the Gentiles. The Jews saw the Gentiles as mere firewood that existed to make the fires of hell even hotter. That's the only reason they thought that they existed. They saw no point in redeeming them. They saw no hope for them. But there's always hope in Jesus. Amen? There's always hope in Jesus. And so because they both have come to know Jesus and trust in Jesus, Paul is able to say this. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, 
Paul writes these words. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. I love this. He says, Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, that's the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Church, isn't that beautiful? These people who come from very different walks of life, who if they were left to their own devices would continue to hate each other and want to see each other killed and destroyed, have now come to love Jesus and love each other. Instead of seeing each other as enemies, they call each other brother and sister. And that's how it's supposed to be. And that's how it is here in our church. We're to call ourselves brothers and sisters and love one another and build one another up. And to the world, we get to shine as a light of righteousness. People look at what we have here and they're bewildered how so many people from different walks of life can come together and love each other. It's all because of Jesus. It's because he has made righteousness in our community. It's because he has brought us together and knit us together as one. We will have righteousness. We have it already. We're tasting it now. But we're still longing for heaven because we still stumble in sin and we still fight one another sometimes. We still need to seek forgiveness from one another. And so we get to join in other believers, as it says in Hebrews eleven sixteen, who are longing for a far better country. And that far better country is a new heaven and a new earth with Jesus. There's no more sin, no more forgiveness that needs to be sought because there's no more sin that's happening when all things are right and our family is perfect. One day we will dwell in that perfect city. As followers of Jesus, we will also be satisfied because we ourselves personally will get to live a righteous life. We ourselves will get to live a righteous life. And that's, that's for each one of us individually. This begins here on earth through our faith in Jesus, and one day it will grow beyond that. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul is writing again, and Paul was a Jew. Paul, Paul was a man who had followed all the rules, who had grown up with all these rules. He was the Jew of Jews. He was the best of the best. But Paul says this, Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. What Paul is saying here is that he's no longer depending on himself. Paul is no longer trying to, to fabricate a righteousness from trying hard enough or doing enough. Paul has found that he can't do enough. He can't be good enough. But that Jesus has done it all. And so through Jesus, he gets to receive righteousness, and this is a real righteousness. Yes, it talks about his salvation, but this is something that he lives out daily. Anybody who has come to be righteous through Jesus walks in righteousness. If you are righteous because you trust in Jesus, shouldn't you look righteous? Shouldn't you act righteous? Shouldn't you walk in that? And that's what we get to begin to experience here on earth. But we're still struggling with this, right? Like None of us are there. None of us are perfect. And Paul realizes that. Paul's the first one to confess that. 
But Paul makes a beautiful statement. Just if you're with me there, look at the left. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says this. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What that means is that God will finish what he started. That if you have come to know Jesus, you're beginning to look more and more like Jesus, but you're not there yet. One day, God will bring it to completion and you will look just like Jesus. Not by your works, not by your efforts. Yes, we're called to be obedient, but we are completely dependent on his love and his faithfulness. One day, God will make us look just like Jesus. Are we growing in that today? Are we looking more and more like Jesus like we sang about? What steps do you need to take today to look more and more like Jesus? One day, we'll be there. This is the last one, and this is my favorite part. I'll just spoil it for you. As followers of Jesus, we will be satisfied when we are with Jesus forever. As followers of Jesus, we will be finally satisfied and completely righteous when we are with Jesus forever. Because on that day, Satan will be vanquished and Jesus will rule and make all things right. And that's what we're looking forward to. That day is coming soon and it will come quickly. But for us, we already get to experience this relationship with Jesus now. He, he says that he is, he is with us. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are not hopeless in the days that we walk through. We're not hopeless in hard times because we have a Savior who is a good shepherd and walks with us through the valleys and on top of the mountaintops. We have a God who loves us and is faithful through all seasons of life. And he is always with us. And this is possible for you by accepting the free gift of grace he purchased on the cross. And while we don't see him yet, one day we will. One day we will see Jesus face to face. And in Revelation chapter 21, it says this. I invite you just to close your eyes. Picture this as if you're the Apostle John hearing this for the first time. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You can open your eyes. Aren't you excited for that? That's coming. Like, that's what Jesus is promising here. He's saying, look, this is going to happen. Like, you're going to be satisfied in my righteousness because I'm going to come back and make all things right. Which means that while we endure and we suffer here on earth, we endure persecution, we, we see sad things that we don't want to see, we wrestle with our own sin, we have hope because we know Jesus and Jesus is coming back. And all things will be right when he does. If you're a believer in Jesus like me, sometimes we get distracted, don't we? Sometimes we run after things that, that don't matter as much. And instead of seeking first and hungering and thirsting for his righteousness and hungering and thirsting for him, we try and find satisfaction in other things. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's school. Whatever it is, though, 
We can't hunger and thirst after those things more than we hunger and thirst for Jesus, can we? Is, is there anything in your life right now that if you missed it, because you came to know Jesus and saw Jesus, you'd look back and regret? Like, would you say, Jesus, can you just wait to come back until I graduate high school? Jesus, would you, would you just wait to come back until I get married? Jesus, would you just wait to come back until I retire and can visit all 50 states like I dreamed I always would? None of that is better than Jesus. None of that is better than getting to see him. So what, what idols in our lives do we need to lay down this morning? Well, what have we been treating as if it were God, but it's not God? God and God alone can satisfy, and he will satisfy us. If you're here this morning, maybe this is the first time you've heard about Jesus. Maybe you, you don't hunger for him. Maybe you don't want him. Maybe this is the first time you, you've heard that he even loves you. There's good news for you. Heads bowed and eyes closed. The good news of the gospel is simple. God created all of us, and he created us to know him. But our sins, they separated us from him. And there's nothing that we can do in our own strength. There's nothing that we can do in our own righteousness to get rid of our sin. But the good news is this, that paying the price for all of your sins and all of my sins, Jesus died and rose again. And if you would trust him, if you would repent from your sins and ask him to forgive you, he would give you eternal life. And that life starts now, and it lasts forever. Heads still bowed and eyes closed. If you need to make a decision to trust in Jesus this morning, the musicians are going to come forward, and they're going to play here with us for in a moment. But however God is leading you to respond this morning, would you be quick to say yes? Would you not let anything hold you back? Maybe you're realizing that you need to get baptized. Maybe you're coming to the end of yourself and you're saying, you know what, I need to go into ministry. I've been fighting it for too long. Or maybe you need to accept Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are so good. And Lord, I just thank you that even though we're not righteous, even though we are, we are sinners who, even with the best efforts, we can't clean ourselves up, God, you loved us anyway. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to hunger and thirst after you above all other things. And thank you that you're the God who satisfies. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.